Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, howdy! Hey, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to flip to Psalm 22. That's where we're going to be this morning, Psalm 22. And gosh, it is a, a pleasure to worship with these guys. Thank you, Rob and the band, for leading us so well this morning. Uh, rocking, rocking, rocking. Hey, if you have a Bible, Psalm 22, we're going to read a little bit of this psalm, and we're going to talk about it. And I love this psalm because it is a, a powerful, powerful look of how to, how to live life in the midst of suffering. So it's going to be fun this morning. So Psalm chapter 22, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read it with us. It says this, To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groanings, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, and I, but I find no rest, yet you are holy. Enthroned in praises of Israel, in your fathers, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted in you to deliver them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads at me. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from my mother's womb and made me trust in my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravaging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are at a joint. My heart is like wax and is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared and my tongue sticks to my jaws and you lay me in dust, the dust of, the, of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. We pray for us. Lord, I thank you for this psalm. And I thank you for the, the graphic nature of this psalm, not because it's pretty, but because it's accurate. <laughs> And Lord, you are not a God who shies away from the, the pain of the world, but you are a God who comes right in the midst of our greatest struggles and says, you know what? I will be with you in it. So Lord, as I pray, as, I pray as we open up this scripture, as we read this word, you would open our hearts that we would come to you in the midst of our struggles and trust you that you know exactly what we're going through. It's in your name we pray. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, we're talking about pain this morning. 
And the truth is this, there are some pain that's actually just funny. I remember when I was in fifth grade, uh, I was playing with a friend of mine named uh, Brian Wade. I haven't seen Brian in a long, long time, but Brian led me on some adventures, mostly involving pain. There was one point when he decided to hammer a nail into a piece of wood with a hatchet. Bad plan. And uh, he ended up slicing his finger open and getting stitches. That was cute. Uh, that when he ran home bleeding and showed his mom his half chopped off finger. Uh, and that was a little bit funny for me. Uh, but there was another pain that he led me into that was uh, not funny to me. And that was, that was this. We climbed up a tree and it was a vine tree. It was actually a group of trees that all had vines going up them, like huge, thick vines, and that covered the whole top of this group and of canopy of trees. And at one point, we, we sneak into this center canopy and we look up and it's this large open area. And we're like, this is incredible. It's like, I don't know, Narnia or something cooler like Peter Pan and his little tree house or something. I don't know. And we're standing there in the middle of this area and he goes, let's climb the vines. And I'm like, buddy, that sounds awesome. You go first, right? And so he starts climbing up these vines to the top of this canopy and goes through the top of the canopy and stands on top, then sticks his head down and goes, come on, dude, this is awesome. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. And so I start climbing up this vine tree and we get on top of this canopy of trees and we are literally walking on top of the canopy of these vines. I'm like, this is incredible. And as a fifth grader, this was probably the coolest thing you could ever do. And as we're walking on top of the trees, my friend Brian goes, okay, let's jump from one tree to the other on top. And I'm like, that sounds awesome for you to do first, Brian. Let's go ahead and let you jump from one to the other. And he just goes, let's just do it. And he kind of runs and jumps and lands on a second group of trees, like kind of falling off. You're like, this is awesome. Come on. And I'm like, let's do this. And so I run and jump and land in it. And it's awesome. And running back and forth, jumping from treetop to treetop in this group of canopy of trees. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Until pain entered the equation. And there came a moment when Brian leaps and jumps and is hoping to land. And he goes right through the canopy, all the way down, legs spread, vines coming up, one after another. Ah, 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 ah. And then I just, I don't hear a thud. I'm expecting a thud, you know, from my buddy. And he, and he just, Kevin, like in a high-pitched voice. Kevin. I'm like, what's the matter, bud? And he's like, Help. And I'm not going to jump over there after him now. And so I, I climb down the vines and I look up and I just see Brian suspended by a single vine teetering back and forth. And I'm like, Brian, I think we're done playing here, man. <laughs> He's like, help. And I'm like, you're 10 feet above me. I'm a little dude. I have no idea how to help you. And eventually it breaks and he falls and we laugh and have a good old time with it. And see, some pain is funny, right? I mean, some pain is just hilarious. And that's why you watch, if you watch ESPN and you're a dude, you love Friday funnies because it's someone getting pegged by a baseball in a place that they shouldn't. It's, it's some person getting hit in the face with a football, like a girl trying to catch a punt or something like that. There's all these Friday funnies. And so some pain is just funny to watch, but there's other pain that's not so funny, right? It's the broken bone that you see, right? It's the injury timeout that causes everyone to kind of stand and, and hope that this person's okay. It's the relational breakup. Now, sometimes those are funny, depending on what shows you're watching. But when it's your friend, it hurts. Or it's the, when the bomb goes off. Or it's the cancer diagnosis. It's those moments that make us pause and look 
deeply into God and go, why would you allow this to happen? Why would you let this pain hit us? And really, it makes us ask questions toward God. I mean, we ask God, do you even know or are you just ignorant? Or God, do you even care? Or God, are you indifferent? Or God, will you do anything? Are you impotent? Are you unable to to act? Or maybe God, you're not even there. Maybe you're just imaginary. And it's when pain hits our world that it causes us to ask deep questions about God. And it's a philosophical problem. In fact, you may have even heard this. The, The problem of pain is a philosophical dilemma. And it goes something like this. If God is all good, he would want to stop evil and suffering. If God was all powerful, he would stop all evil and suffering. But we have a world of evil and suffering. Therefore, God either is not good at all or is not all powerful. And the result, for some they say, the Christian God couldn't possibly exist. It's the problem of pain. You may have heard that laid out that way. And and so all of us have to come to grips. Every worldview, every idea, what do we do when pain hits the world? What, What is our philosophical idea in which we will navigate these rough waters of life? Well, for a while, this problem of pain has been a philosophical death nail to Christianity. They're like, oh, your Christian God doesn't exist. Boom, explosion. And, and for some of you, when you see the problem of pain and it's laid out in that way, you're like, oh my gosh, can a good God exist when there's real pain in the world? Well, there's one statement that throws that whole argument on its head. In fact, this whole argument against God has been dethroned in recent years because it assumes one thing, that God who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent wouldn't have a good reason for pain. But perhaps... God does have a good reason. It may be a reason beyond my my ability to explain, but there is a reason for pain. And so he doesn't dethrone the Christian God. It just means that there is a reason that an omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful God actually has for pain. But the, the reality is this, pain is still present in our world. And I love this psalm because we get to walk with David as he deals with the pain that he is facing in the world. And from this explanation of pain, we get an idea of how to deal with the pain that we face in our days. And the first thing that we see in this is that pain is present. Suffering is present in the world. And pain, the feeling of it is this. It first feels surprising. In verse 1, it says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groanings, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. The first thing we see about pain is simply this. Suffering is present in the world and it often feels surprising. You're always surprised when pain comes. I took my kids to get shots a little while ago. And when you take them to the doctor, the doctor always tries to prepare them for the pain that's going to come. And they prepare them in a way that's completely unhelpful, I think, personally. If you're a doctor or you're planning on being a doctor, don't do this, okay? What do they say to the children? Hey, buddy, come on up here. You want to stay well, don't you? You don't want to get sick and die. All right, come on over here. Um, you're going to feel a little bit of pressure, okay? Just pressure. Like, is it going to be painful? It'll be pressure, which is a lie, Right? It's not going to be pressure. It's going to be a puncture, right? When you pressure, it's, it's like a poke, you know? It's a, it's a I, oh, I, I, just, I pressed you or I poked you, right? That's, that's pressure. Pressure doesn't puncture. 
And so they go to my little son, like, oh, baby, it's just going to be a little bit of pressure. Ah, okay, that was more than just pressure. That was painful, and it's always surprising. But also a second piece, pain also feels random. Here's what he says in verse 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted in you to deliver them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. He says, look, David's saying, look, other people trusted in you, God, and didn't have to deal with the pain in this way. I mean, you rescued some people from pain. You liberated some people from pain. But for me in this moment, it feels random. Like you aren't just. You're, you're blessing some and hurting others. Sometimes we see evil people getting good results. And David's going, I, I don't understand. If I trusted in you, I shouldn't feel this random hit of pain. And thirdly, pain always feels like betrayal. Verse six, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and deeply despised by people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads at me. He who trusts in the Lord, let, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from my mother's womb. I've been following you my whole life, God. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. From the moment I was born, I've been hearing about you, God. On you, I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. I have been with you. David says, I have spent my entire life following you. And when this pain hit me, it feels like you betrayed me. It feels like everything I hoped in got turned on its head. It feels like I trusted you from birth, but it seems like my trust is gone unfounded, God. Pain always feels like betrayal. And when you, when you feel pain in your life, it's like your, your expectations and your experiences collide. How you expect life to go and the experience of pain collide and you, we all demand an explanation. And see, this isn't a uniquely Christian problem. In fact, every major worldview has to deal with this fact that pain is present in our world. And so one option is from Buddhism. And they say this, that pain is basically inevitable yet invisible. In Buddhism, point number one of their four noble truths is this, that all life is suffering because of impermanence, meaning things change, bodies become weak. Uh, In Tim Keller's book, um, The Reason for God, he writes it this way. Buddhism teaches that suffering comes not from from past deeds, but from unfulfilled desires. And those desires are the result of the illusion that we are individual selves. Like the ancient Greek Stoics, Buddha taught that the solution to suffering is the extinguishing of desires through a change of consciousness. What Buddhism teaches is this. Pain is inevitable. There's in a world of pain but it's ultimately invisible. If you, if you kill your desires, you can overcome this feeling of pain. You, the problem is you desire something different, but if you just accept your reality, you can move past this pain. In Hinduism, they believe this, pain is deserved, that we are paying our karmic debt. The reason you're suffering is something that either you did in this life or the previous life, and you're paying your debt today. The secular view says that pain is accidental. Richard Dawkins says it this way, an atheist writer and professor. He says, the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. 
and you won't find any rhyme or reason for it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. So pain is inevitable. Pain is deserved. Pain is accidental. Or number four, pain is avoidable. This is the Western view. Ann Patchett, uh, an author and writer, wrote, wrote, wrote it this way. The fact is, staving off our own death is one of our favorite national path, pastimes. Whether it's exercise, checking our cholesterol, or having a mammogram, we are always hedging against mortality. See, the Western view is this, that pain shouldn't be here, and it's ultimately avoidable. If I get my checks each month, if I go to my doctor, if I live the right way, it's pain is ultimately avoidable. But she's writing in an article right after a mass shooting in New York by the Beltway Sniper, and she goes on to write this. We are always looking to make some sort of sense out of murder in order to keep it safely at bay. I don't fit that description. I don't live in that town. I would never have gone to that place or known that person, but a sniper taking out a single clean shot, not into a crowd, but through a sight, reminds us horribly of death itself. Despite our best intentions, it is still, for the most part, random and absolutely coming to all of us. See, the problem with each one of these views is that it doesn't offer solace. I mean, either I deserved it, it's random and going to hit me. I'm going to try to avoid it, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit me again. And see, in, in normal, everyday occurrences of pain, it can be avoided in some ways. We can stop some pain. I mean, we, we do believe that some, some pain is deserved. Some, some pain, you, you're jumping out of a tree, and you know what? That was just dumb, right? And, and you caused your own pain. But there's those moments that become crippling. Those moments when pain doesn't seem, it seems random, it seems completely off base, suffering is really becomes unbearable when it escalates. And that's exactly what we see happen in this psalm. Verse 11, it escalates to a new level. Verse 11, he says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me, they open wide their mouths at me like a, rabid, like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax and is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shared and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. The image of, of there is this, of, of people surrounding him. And he personifies them as animals. In fact, the first animal he gives is this. They're like bulls of Bashan. Bashan was an area that was rich, that was lush with green grass. And so they grew huge bulls. It was a picture of power. And bulls all are powerful. I was listening to a podcast recently about an adventurer, a guy who loved to take risks. And one of the things that he wanted to do was to go bullfighting in Pamplona, the running of the bulls. And he goes there uh, and thinking that, that he's tough, that he can like man up against these bulls. And, and so he decides, he goes literally to the arena where they all kind of run in after they run through the streets. And he's getting in the, the arena and he decides to kind of see what he could do with the bulls. And so first he decides to touch a bull. So he runs by and just touches one. He's like, oh, okay, that's good, that's good. He's like, well, I can do more. I'm gonna slap a bull's butt, right? That's his next plan. 
And so he runs over to a bull and just slaps him on the hiney and kind of keeps him running off. Like, okay, okay, that was good, that was good. I'm gonna take it to the next level. And so there's, uh, there's a ramp at the end of the arena that all the bulls run out of. And so sometimes, sometimes, people decide to take the risk to the next level. And so they lay their bodies on side by side and hope that the bulls can jump over them. That's fun. And so he decided, I want to be a total risk taker because there's like 15 bodies laying side by side. I will go to the front of the line. And so, you know, I don't want to be that guy. And so he goes to the front of the line, lays down, and the first bull jumps over, it's good. And then the next bull comes up and trips, puts a nice hoof print into his shoulder. And that 1,500-pound bull lands on him. And as he, he's face down and he's laying there in the dirt, he goes, what was I thinking? I love a risk, but this wasn't worth it. Bulls are powerful. They're deadly. And lions are ravenous. They tear their prey limb from limb. He's trying to get in our minds the picture of, of things surrounding him that are well beyond him. And see, each moment that you look at, at our world, you would say, you could see that there's people in power that are like raging bulls, like ravenous lions. In fact, the 20th century has been the most bloody century in history, and not by Christians. Mao of China killed 40 million of his own people. Stalin of Russia killed 20 million people. Hitler of Germany is known to have killed about 12 million people, of his own people, of the Jewish people. And as you look at all of this, you would say, this pain is beyond explanation, right? This pain is so big, Someone should be responsible for this, right? I mean, the, when we see pain at that level of an individual who has that much power that can oversee the deaths of millions, the numbers are just staggering. It's like monopoly money at that point. I can't even fathom that many people dying at the hands of leaders. And when we see pain at that level, I think we run to a couple different places. I mean, some of us just disengage. Like, we, we can't even deal with that. Others of us say, okay, maybe, maybe Christianity isn't the right way. Maybe some other philosophy. So you run a different philosophy. Or you run to blame. I mean, like, like who's responsible? Let's, let's, let's find someone to blame for this. Or we get angry and we demand justice. And the reason we demand justice is because every pain creates a debt. And we see it that way. When we see pain in the world, it's like there's a debt that's incurred. We would say something like this. You owe me an explanation, right? You owe me, apology. owe me an apology. Someone has to pay. And there was a book written by Gunter Rutenborn right after the, the horrific tragedies of Nazi Germany. And they were, they were trying to get their minds around why this pain happened. And, and one book was written by Gunter Rutenborn called The Sign of Jonah. He was a Christian pastor in Germany. And he, it's, he writes a play. And so they have all the people that have committed these atrocities in Germany as, as characters in the play. And they're trying to figure out who's to blame, like who needs to pay for this atrocity that was committed. And they go up the line. So some say it's the German people that they would allow to produce this type of person. Other people in the play say, no, no, it's the officers that carried out this horrific atrocity in the world. Some say it's Hitler. And some people, they all came together and, and solidified on this. They ultimately said, God is to blame. <coughs> so the play of Rutenborg, that Rutenborg wrote puts God on trial. And they were all witness, the witnesses were all victims. And they blamed God 
for this atrocity. And they sentence him. They said, you, God, you're guilty. You will become a man. You will wonder, wonder the earth. You will become homeless and hungry and you will be a despised Jew. God, that is your punishment. He was a Christian pastor. And as he's writing that story, he's saying, we demand justice, and the justice we demand is that someone would pay, and that person to pay would be God. But what's so crazy about that story is that everyone feels like they're a victim. They don't feel like they're a perpetrator. I'm a victim of pain. I don't cause pain. But the truth is we're all to blame. Every one of us, I'm to blame for the pain of the world. I am like a bull of Bashan looking at the Messiah saying, you deserve to die. We're all victims of pain, but also perpetrators. There's a book written called Murder on the Orient Express. And in the book, uh, Detective Perot is finds out a murder that's on a train and and they're trying to solve the murder. And so they interview each person on the train to figure out who's to blame for this murder. And they all look at each person and and, and they hear them and you don't find out till the end of the book, spoiler alert, that they're all in on it. They're all colluding together to put forth that death. And ultimately that is to blame. We all have a part. In fact, Isaiah 53 writes of the Messiah and he says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, yet we esteemed him not. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, And with his wounds, we are healed. And we all like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. You see, there is one that is sent to pay for the pain of the world. It's Jesus Christ. We all like sheep have gone astray. We're all going to run our own way. But God laid on him the problem of pain. I'm going to enter into the story and I'm going to take it. And see, the psalm takes an interesting turn here. And most commentators, as they read verse 16 and following, they say, okay, David never experienced anything like this. There's no explanation for this. Some thousand years before Jesus would ever enter the scene, the description of the crucifixion becomes alive and vibrant. Some thousand years before Jesus would ever go to the cross, you have a man predicting exactly how it would play out. It's almost as if someone larger is in control of things. It's almost as if something larger is in control. Verse 16, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me, They have pierced my hands and my feet. This was long before crucifixion. Roman crucifixion was ever at play. This is piercing of people. People were crucified, but they were put on stakes. They weren't punctured in this way. I can count all of my bones. I'm stretched out. And they stare and gloat over me. And this is crazy. They divide my garments among them. And they cast lots for my clothing. 
See, when you read Matthew and you read his description of the crucifixion, every one of these predictions plays out. Jesus was pierced. He was mocked. He was scorned. And he suffered and died. And all the pain of the world landed on that man in that moment. Every sin that we have done and every sin that has been committed against us land on that man in that moment. And on the cross, Jesus says, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And everyone sitting there in that moment would remember that psalm and be thinking to that suffering servant when David describes that day, but they would look to this larger moment that Jesus was pointing everyone towards. This is a fulfillment of promises. God promised that his someone would pay for sin and there is someone that came. I love a story by Ravi Zacharias. He's a Christian apologist. And if you haven't listened to Ravi Zacharias, I strongly encourage you to take the time to listen to him. And there's a a story that he quotes and there was a moment when he was sitting across the table from the founder of Hamas, Sheikh Hillel in Jerusalem. And as they're sitting there across the face, uh, face to face across, each person there could ask the Sheikh one question. He asked his question of the sheikh, and the sheikh said, gave his answer, and Ravi wasn't satisfied with the answer. And he says, okay, sheikh, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you one thing. I'm not satisfied with your answer, but I'm going to tell you one thing. He says, not too far from here, there was a mountain that Abraham went to to sacrifice his son. Now, you believe it was Ishmael. I believe it was Isaac, but let's not quibble about that. There was a man, Abraham, who went and sacrificed his son on that mountain. But not too far, far from here, there's another mountain called the hill called Golgotha. And there was another son that was sacrificed. And I'll tell you this, if we don't run to that son who was sacrificed on that mountain, we will still be sacrificing our sons on the battlefields of this world because there is one who came to pay for our sins. And when he said that, the room was silent. And he looks over and he sees Sheikh Hillel with a tear come down his eyes. He says, you're a good man, Ravi. There is truth to what you are saying. You see, everyone demands a solution to the problem. And God says, I do too. I will go pay it myself. And the best news is, is that suffering isn't the end of the story. There's a big turn in verse 21. When it goes from destruction to hope. When it goes from the pain of a man crying out to a hope of a solution. That suffering isn't the end. And the psalm goes on in a very hopeful way. He says this in verse 21. But you have rescued me from the horns of the oxen. I will tell of your name to all my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you who are far off in Israel, For he is not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard. And when he cried to him, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise his name. See, suffering isn't the end. God entered the story. The son enters in in the ultimate act of solidarity. He suffered alongside us. But secondly, in the Christian perspective, there's a purpose in the pain. In fact, Tim Keller writes it this way. Christianity teaches that contrary to fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contrary to Buddhism, suffering is real. 
Contrary to karma, suffering is unfair. But contrary to secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive like a nail deep into the, into the love of God and into a more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. See, pain is designed to bring us to the feet of God and say, it's wrong, it's horrible, but I trust you in the midst of it. C.S. Lewis writes this, God whispers in our pleasures, but he screams in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, pain, pain is purposeful, but lastly, pain is the path toward restoration. Verse 27 says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. You see, the pain of the cross is that moment when everything that was wrong is made right. J.R. Tolkien writes it this way. He made up a word to describe it. He calls it the eucatastrophe, the eucatastrophe. He says, I coined this term, eucatastrophe. It's the sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with a joy that brings tears, which I argued is the highest function of fairy stories to produce. He says the greatest part about the cross is the resurrection. You see, all the pain of the world is poured out on that man, but he didn't stay dead. He rose in victory and the psalm takes a turn because Jesus took a turn. The stone was rolled away and he walked out in freedom, in victory. See, every tribe and tongue and nation is gonna come together as they look at the cross and say, you paid it all. We demanded justice in the world and Jesus, you paid it fully through your death on the cross. There is hope at the end of the story because there is an empty tomb, an open grave, Christ who stands in freedom for us. And so when you walk through the days of your life, no matter what pain you are facing, it all becomes right in the end. How does that play out? Every, every pain you feel is like, a, is like a knot that needs to be untied. And when history comes to an end, it's like every one of those moments will be undone and tied to a bow. The cancer your parents faced, the pain of your childhood, the brokenness of the world will be all woven together in a great tapestry that will make sense in the end. And right now, what do we do? We trust in the Savior we band together with brothers and we move with hope when he brings to great resolution to the story. Can you do that today? I'll give you one picture of one person who's done it. And I don't, I don't cry at videos. I'm not gonna play a video for you, but I don't cry at videos. I'm not a big crier. But I saw a guy preaching a message um, on Watermark. On Watermark, uh, um, you can go watch it later on. His name is Nick Wojcic. And I was flipping through Watermark, just kind of listening to sermons, and I click on this, this video, and I see this guy on stage, and it struck me because he was a man born without arms and legs. And he's sitting there on stage, and he can't really walk. I mean, he just kind of, kind of moves along a little bit, and he's, he's, he's preaching, and then he tells his story. He says, I was born in, in Australia, and I was born without arms and legs. Tremendous suffering. He says, when I was about 10 years old, I decided that life was no longer worth living. And so I, I, I couldn't even kill myself because I have no arms or legs. And so I told my mom to run a bath for me. And I decided that I was going to roll over in the bath and drown myself. 
And at that point, he kind of laughs, but it's like so horrible. You're like, how do I can kind of laugh at the best? It's horrible, right? And he rolls himself over and he's like, okay, God, I don't know why you made me. This is horrible and I'm gonna end it right now and I'm gonna reduce the pain that my parents have to go through. My life is not worth living. I'm just gonna do this. And he rolls himself over trying to kill himself and then his mom runs in and saves him. She pulls him out of the tub but doesn't pull him out of his depression. He still deals with it. And finally, he's reading his Bible at one point in time that's saying that God, God could use anyone. God can, God can free anyone. He can use greatest pain and bring out his greatest glory and your greatest pain. And he's reading that going like, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you can bring joy out of pain. I just don't believe it. And as he's sitting there in front of, in front of his Bible, he says, look, and this is what he says in the sermon. If God can use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet, then I will dedicate my entire life to you. And it's at that moment in the sermon that I just go, okay, okay, that's just too much. (laughs) Because you're watching a man living a life of pain, yet pointing to a glorious creator. You're looking at a man living in the midst of a horrible circumstance, but living in joy and pointing everyone to the Savior. And he's spoken to stadiums of people, brought tons of people to faith, and God's used this man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet, a spokesman for the glory of God. Can God use your greatest pain to bring out his greatest glory? You bet. Can we rage against God because of the injustice? You bet. Jesus does. David does. He can take it. Can he give you hope in the midst of our greatest struggle better than any other worldview he can? Because he suffered alongside you. He has a purpose in it. And it will bring ultimately salvation to the world. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for this morning. And Lord, I thank you that we can be honest with you in the midst of our pain. But I thank you more that pain isn't the end of the story. That pain can be a path toward the restoration. So Lord, I pray that we, as we look at the pain that the world faces, we would look to the cross and say, God, you're not one that is disinterested, disengaged, or unaware of our struggles, but you're one that comes right in the middle of it. We have all broken the world because of our sin and you have sent your son to save us. I pray that we would come on our knees to you and say, Jesus, come quickly. Restore us where we're broken and you would use our lives to point everyone to the one who would come and save us all. It's in your holy name we pray, amen. Hello, welcome to the Grace College Podcast. My name is Kevin Barra. My name is Jacob Smith. And uh, this is a great opportunity on the end of our our sermons to go a little bit deeper into the sermons and get a little bit of information about what our ministries look like here in College Station, Texas. So thank you so much for joining us. Fun week. Another fun week. Yeah, it was. was Yeah, we are. Finishing up our Psalm series this couple weeks. Yep. It's pretty much wrapped up. We've got one more week at Southwood. This next week at Anderson, we're doing uh, baptisms. So we're actually stepping out of the Psalms uh, and into water. That's how uh, it's going to flow. And it's going to be really cool. I'm really excited. We've got a lot, of, a lot of people lined up. Be great. And it's been fun going through the Psalms, um, really the, the, the songs of the Bible and a, a great uh, – I don't know. It's been, it's been fun. The students have – have responded well. It's been we've gotten some great feedback, and and this week in particular, it was uh, we, we went kind of two different directions. Um, 
at the Anderson campus, they spoke about Psalm 23. At the Southwood campus, we spoke on Psalm 22. And uh, it was interesting, you know, and Psalm 22 is a a tough psalm in that yeah. you are hearing the outpouring, the cry of, of David during a very tough time. Really, you, you hear the anguish of David in the midst of a situation. And what's yeah. cool about it is you get the mirror of this psalm in Jesus on the cross. And and this psalm is, uh, he speaks the very words of this psalm when Jesus is on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is the very beginning of this psalm. Right. Yeah, which some, I mean, some scholars, not every scholar, but some scholars would propose that that's even what Jesus is referencing, is that while he's on the cross, it's not that he actually feels this sense of hope hopelessness that, you know, every that, oh my gosh, you know, my father's forsaken me, but he's actually still referring to, in the midst of that, you know, uh, turmoil, he's referring to the fact that he knows that God's going to prevail. Because that's how Psalm 22 flows, is that you see right. the faithfulness of the Lord reiterated. But it's also, Psalm 22 is really cool in how it's arranged with the next two Psalms, which is something that you looked into a little bit, Kevin. What yeah. was the, what would you find about like just sort of the arrangement of 22 along with 23 and 24? Yeah. So I, I was reading um, a, an article about this and, and one, um, one theologian believed that Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24 kind of work together hand in hand, and that in Psalm 22, you see the anguish of the cross. In Psalm 23, you see his peace in the midst of the cross. In Psalm 24, you see the enthronement um, of Christ in victory at the end. And and looking at it in that context, whether or not that was David's intent is, is interesting to think about because Psalm 23, so much of it is about peace in the midst of trial. Um, at the beginning of Psalm 23, he says, you, you lead me beside still waters. And then uh, in verse 4, it talks about, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you're like, wait, 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 God, you're leading me through still waters into the valley of the shadow of yeah. death. Like, what's, what's that contrast? And, and really, that's, that's what you see on the cross. You see a moment when Christ is in the hand of the Father, even in the midst of great trial. And uh, and then Psalm 24, you see his enthronement. And even at the end of Psalm 22, you see, I encourage you to go back and read it, you see hope in the midst of the struggle. Yeah. And I think that's the most important part of every, every midst, in the midst of every psalm, that you really have hope in the midst of trial. And uh, so I encourage you to go back and listen to him, think about it. Um, in, in my presentation in Psalm 22, I really tried to talk about that there is hope in the midst of pain. Even though there is a problem of pain, you actually can have hope um, because Christ laid himself down. He paid the payment of pain. He took pain on himself to bring to bring hope to yeah, the rest of the world. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and, you know, we're done preaching the Psalms almost, but, man, I, I hope that, yeah, you continue to read the Psalms. They're yeah. just, they're so rich. It's just, it covers so many different love, uh, so many different experiences in life. Um, again, just sort of a beautiful picture of, I mean, what does it look like to really live in this world as people of the Lord. So uh, we've got a really fun event coming up this month. Yeah, transitioning to announcements. It is. It's big. It's We've done it the last few years, and I love it. Uh, and it's for our juniors and seniors in particular. So, you know, everyone's invited-ish, but, you know, we really encourage seniors and juniors to consider uh, coming to this event, which is called What's Next. That's right. So it's on October 20th, 7 o'clock at our Anderson campus uh, and you just get to show up and essentially w- what happens is you uh, we've we've tailored this event to basically uh, kind of help 
juniors and seniors, people who are looking, you know, graduation is around the corner. We're, we're trying to help them just sort of better understand, I mean, what do those next steps look like? Essentially answer that question of what's next that they're going to hear uh, around the Thanksgiving table and at Christmas from their sweet, that every their college sweet, student hears. <laughs> now you're going to graduate. What's next? Sweet, sweet grandparents, right? Whoever it is of like, what's next? And so uh, instead of just being like, I don't know, maybe grad school? <laughs> like you want. I've put myself in the Lord's <laughs> <laughs> right. He has not so, revealed it yet. Well, I believe in a sovereign God. So uh, we we want to just sort of help broaden perspectives. And so we're going to have a lot of different professionals from a lot of different vocations uh, that are available to talk at these kind of little breakouts about this is what it looks like to be an engineer or a doctor or an accountant or a whatever business owner. And this is kind of how I got started in this field. And, and this is how you can carry your faith into those places and into those vocations because uh, that's, you know, that's where the vast majority of our students are headed. Right. Uh, we'll also have have representatives for uh, people interested in missions, like going inter- on international uh, missions overseas. Uh, we will have opportunities for people to hear more about seminary, like how does that look? Like what does that look like? What's that process? We'll, uh, a lot of our staff will be available to talk about our fellows program. So if people are considering vocational ministry, uh, man, we, we would love to talk with them about the fellows program, about what it looks like to I spend a few years working in a church with a lot of responsibility, mm-hmm. uh, getting to work towards seminary at the same time. Uh, we want to uh, just basically, again, just broaden people's perspectives. We're not trying to win people over to any vocation or any field, uh, but we just want to kind of better inform our juniors and seniors, man, this is something that you could be a part of, or this is a, a route that you could walk. Uh, this is some wisdom from people that are just a few steps ahead of you. Right. So and it's a great time 20th. to build relationships, great time yeah. to learn a little bit more about each one of those fields. So I encourage you to come out. That Once again, that's October 20th from 7 p.m. at our Anderson campus. Yep, that's so, it. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on the Grace College Podcast. See you next week. Thanks.